God's word for our meditation this morning is the Old Testament lesson appointed for this third Sunday in Advent from Isaiah chapter 35. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about, about it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there. But only the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. This is the word of our Lord. A few years ago, a Salvation Army volunteer was emptying the red donation kettle outside of a Walmart in Erie, Pennsylvania, and pulled out what looked to be a piece of garbage. And you can understand why his first thought would be someone just using that donation kettle as a trash can. <laughs> Come on, right? But he opened up that piece of paper that was crumpled up and thrown in there and realized it was a lottery ticket. It was already scratched off. And the thought came, a used lottery ticket? I mean, how rude can you be? But then he thought, you know what, I'm, I'm going to just check the numbers. And what he thought was just a worthless piece of paper ended up being worth $1,000. Sometimes things aren't always what they seem. Things for God's Old Testament people seemed bleak, very bleak. They had chosen to reject their God, chosen to worship other gods. They were living for themselves, so caught up in the things of this life. Right? They, they went through the motions of, of, of worshiping God, but their hearts were far from them. Sound familiar? But the fact is they, they had warning after warning come to them. God sent his prophets to tell them, repent. Repent or punishment and destruction will come. And while a few listened, many didn't. And through the prophet Isaiah, throughout his preaching and throughout his writings, we hear that punishment would come. Because the people continued to reject their God. 
this God who had been so compassionate and so gracious and so patient, who had blessed them with everything, taken them out of slavery in Egypt, taken them through the wilderness and brought them into a promised land and, and given them everything in this land flowing with milk and honey, and they chose to reject him. And finally, God's patience ran out. And destruction came. But that would not be the end of them. God promised through his prophets not only punishment for their disobedience, but that God would not forget his people. That though things would seem to be bleak and hopeless, God would bring life and hope again. And that's what we have before us in Isaiah chapter 35. And we've got this description of, of, of what God was going to do after that destruction, after what seemed like was just complete wasteland and hopelessness, what their God would do. He says here at the beginning, so it's the sermon lessons printed out for you there if you'd like to follow along. He says, the desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon. Now, when you hear desert, don't think our desert, okay? Our desert has things growing in it. Our desert has flowers in the springtime, and even sometimes if we get enough rain, other times of the year. Think Middle East desert, the place where nothing can grow. Nothing can continue to ever flourish if it's planted there. That's the kind of wasteland that, that's being talked about here. And that wasteland, it says, will become like the crocus, which is a beautiful flower that does not grow in the desert. It says that it will burst into bloom and it will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. It will be given the glory of Lebanon, which is known for its cedar trees. It will be given the splendor of Carmel, which was known for its mighty oak trees. It will be given the splendor of Sharon, which was known for its, its beautiful flowers and its rich pasture lands in that area. From the desert, from the wasteland, would come something beautiful, full of life and hope. This was a picture of what God would do for his Old Testament people. Their sins would bring destruction upon them. But from that wasteland, God would bring hope and life and something beautiful. And why? Why would God do that? He goes on and says, They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Why would God do such a thing? Why wouldn't God just say, forget you? I'm moving on. I'm done with you once and for all. Because God had made a promise. And God keeps promises. God had made a promise to their ancestor, to their forefather Abraham that through him, all nations would be blessed. He had made a promise that he had to keep, and he would keep. And so he always preserved his people. Even in the destruction, even in the punishment that they rightly deserve, God would still be merciful. God would still keep his promises. And why would this happen? How and why would this all come about? He says, strengthen the feeble hands, 
Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. This will not happen because the Israelites turn their life around and get, get right with God because they, they shape up and they start doing all the right things. It would happen because their God would come. That he would come to save them. It would not be by their own might or their own strength or their own wisdom, but by that of God. That he would come to save. To come in the midst of their weariness and their hopelessness and their sadness, to strengthen feeble hands, to steady knees that give way, to say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear, your God will come to you. Dear friends, what is it that makes your hands feel feeble? It makes your knees feel weak. It makes your heart gripped with fear. You know, for some of you, I, I, I know what it is. But for others of you, I don't. <laughs> But what I do know is we all have it. There's things in our life that, that make our hands feel weak and our knees weak and our hearts full of fear. Right? Those things in life that, that just feel like my strength is sapped and I just can't go on. That I'm just in this desert, this wasteland of a life and I just don't know how to get out. <laughs> that feeling of hopelessness and despair. I mean, what is it for you? Maybe it's that strained relationship with your spouse or your child or your sibling that's just hanging on by a thread and feels like it could be torn at any moment. You know, what is it for you? Maybe, maybe it's you know, financial struggles. Right? There's just not enough money to pay all the bills every month. And, and maybe, maybe it's your own doing. You, you were not good with your money, and now, now you're paying for it. What is it that makes your hands feel feeble and your knees weak and your heart just gripped with fear? Is it, is it guilt? guilt over your sins of the past that, that you just want to let go but, but those sins of the past are still affecting your present what is it maybe it's, maybe it's a sin or may, maybe it's multiple sins that just keep on hounding you, that just will not leave you alone, that, that when you are faced with that temptation, you, you feel like you just can't help but fall. Right? Whatever it is, anger or lust or, or coveting or lying, whatever it is, maybe there's one sin that's chasing you, or maybe it's a whole herd, and it just makes your hands feel weak and your knees unsteady and your heart filled with fear. I mean, what is it for you? Maybe it's that diagnosis that you're waiting on for you or your loved one. Maybe it's the loneliness that, that is always there, but, but especially this time of year, 
feels even heavier. Maybe, maybe it's the future. The unknown, for you, for your, for your family, for your children, your grandchildren, for this world. What is it for you? And maybe it's one of those things that I just mentioned, or maybe I've nailed all of them. I don't know what they are exactly for you, but I know that we all have them. But in the midst of those, whatever you are feeling, whatever it is in this life that is making your hands feeble and your knees weak and your hearts filled with fear, the promise that God made to his Old Testament people is the same promise he makes to you, his New Testament people. God comes to you. God comes to save you. God knows what our weakness and our loneliness and our sadness and our pain feels like. And not just figuratively speaking, but literally, he knows what it feels like because God himself came to this earth took on flesh and lived this life. He experienced everything that you do. He knows loneliness. He knows weakness. He knows feeble hands and weak knees and a fearful heart. He knows what being bombarded with temptation feels like as your enemy and his enemy, the devil, every moment of his life was bombarding him with those temptations. He knows what it feels like to feel weak and have the last thread of hope as he hung on that cross and suffered hell. As his father turned his back on him and forsook him on that cross, as he suffered the brutal death that he didn't deserve. Your God doesn't just try to relate with you. He knows what it feels like, what you're going through right now. There's this thought in our world, there's this even thought among Christians that God is distant, he's uncaring, he, you know, he doesn't really know what this life is really all about. But there's more than meets the eye when it comes to God. Things aren't always what they seem. Because we can look to the one who endured everything that we do, and he did it for us. And not only to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but to be our strength in them. And to be our forgiveness when we fail and fall into those temptations. That Savior Jesus who didn't just come to show us how to overcome and to be strong and to stand firm, but who came to save us, to rescue us from our sins, to be our deliverer. God comes to us. He came to us that first time. And there's the promise that he will come again. 
But there's also the promise that he wants to continue to come to us as often as you will let him to bring strength to your hands and steady your weak knees and dispel that fear from your hearts. Your God wants to continue to come to you and he does. In ways that seem really unexpected. In ways that we wouldn't seem. Wouldn't think and seem. In ways that are more than meets the eye. You know, what happens here in this building? With words being spoken and heard. God is doing amazing things. Through water poured on a head and, and, and the words, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God does incredible, miraculous things. In bread and wine, connected with Jesus' words of promise that this is my body given for you. This is my blood shed for you. It's not just ritual. It's not just something we do. There's power. God comes and brings life. God comes into our hopelessness and despair and sadness and weakness and fears and he comes and brings peace and forgiveness and joy and life and salvation. God longs to come to you and to bring you these blessings. Not just once, not just sometimes, but as often as you'll let him. God comes to save you. And we're told here in this lesson what, what, what God does for us as he comes, as he comes to us in his word. He says, Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, then the lame will leap like a deer, and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs, and the haunts where jackals once lay, greeds and grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. He comes in the midst of our sadness and our struggle and our weaknesses. And he comes to open up spiritually blind eyes. He comes to open up deaf ears to hear his love and his peace. He comes to bring the lame the ability to jump for joy and to bring the promise of the mute tongue able to sing the praise of our God to come and bring life where there was nothing but death, to come and bring hope where there was nothing but hopelessness, to come and bring peace where there was nothing but discord, to come and bring strength where there was nothing but weakness. Our God comes to you to give you these blessings. And friends, this is something we don't want to forget as we leave here. Because as we go back into that desert, back into that wasteland of, that we live in here, how easy it is, again, to become overwhelmed by these fears and for that loneliness to set in again, right, and those temptations that keep coming at us. So we don't want to forget as we go back out here, and so we want to continue to be reminded of what we have right now 
and even beyond, that what is waiting for us, that this desert and wasteland of a life is not it, that there's something still to come. This is how our section ends, and there will be a highway there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. Your friends, you you get to leave here and go back into that desert and that wasteland. Remember that God fills valleys and he raises the mountains and he fixes the potholes and he sets you on his way, the way. Jesus, who is the way. You go with Jesus in your heart and on your mind and on your lips strengthening your knees and your feeble hands you go into this desert of this life knowing who is with you to strengthen you every step of the way and to know what is waiting for you at the end of all of this For us New Testament Christians, whenever we hear that name Zion, it's picturing for us heaven. That, that, that holy city that is waiting for us, that new Jerusalem, Zion, where we get to meet with God and be with him. That place where we will enter and we will be crowned with everlasting joy where gladness and joy will completely consume us and overtake us forever And all of this sorrow, all of this sighing, all of this struggle in this life will flee away forever. Dear friends, there's more than meets the eye. God comes to us and he works. God comes to us and fills us with comfort and joy, with peace and patience and perseverance to continue through this life no matter how hard it might be, no matter how hard it might feel. Because we know what's waiting for us and we know who walks with us and carries us through it all. You know, the the lives of Christians really on the outside don't look a lot different from the rest of the world, do they? Just like everybody else, we deal with pain and sadness. We struggle with sin. We may have to face death if Jesus doesn't come back first. We lose loved ones to death. Right? On the outside, things don't look that much different. But inwardly, there's no comparison. Because by God's grace, we know. We know that there's more than meets the eye. We know that this is not it. We know what our God has done for us. We know how God has come to save us. We know That in the midst of our fears and our sadness and our worries and our pain and our struggle, God comes and he brings life and peace and joy and hope. And we know what's still to come. And what that means for you, friends, is you. You are more than meets the eye. Because you have the promise.
that your God has done it all for you. That God is with you. That God will give you everything you need every moment of every day to come and strengthen those hands. Steady those weak knees. Dispel your doubts and fears. And give you his comfort and his joy right now and forever. God grant it to you. Amen. Please stand.